Lord, it's such an, an honor to be uh, in your presence. We thank you for meeting us. And that <clears throat> the first moment we met you to these amazing experiences where we just gather with others who have been captivated by you, by your love, by your grace. And it moves us. Our hearts are, are drawn to you. Our hearts are transformed by you and renewed by you, comforted by you, washed and cleansed by you. Your grace, just your love allows you to look past all of our, our weaknesses, our struggles, our failures, and just you embrace us. And we love you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for renewed mercy and, and grace every day. Thank you for just the work you do, sanctification. <laughs> Those that you've taken home before us, glorification. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the hope of heaven that that leaves us with. Holy Spirit, we, we trust you. This is Jesus. This is your church. You've, you've paid for it with your blood. You've built this place. Every one that will tune in here uh, online, you've purposed this. You've, you've got a plan. And may we be open and just receptive to what you have as you, you Holy Spirit, ultimately are, are our teacher. Bring salvation. Bring comfort. Bring peace. Bring strength. Build us up in our faith. Unite us as the body of Christ. Renew your, your vision, your commission, your plan for our life this morning. Just breathe on that, man. Fan the flames. Renew our love for you. Let's move us, Lord, this morning towards you, to be further committed to you, available, trusting. In your name, Jesus, the name above all names, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Why don't you turn around and say hello to some people around next to you. All right. Well, we had an amazing, really, an amazing week. Uh, both for, I call them the little kids and the big kids. 
all of us kids had an amazing week. Uh, we're just going to get right into our study, but there's a really cool recap video. Um, it'll be on all the media platform. You can check it out. But I just, uh, I just sense we need to really get into this this morning. So let's turn our Bibles over to Acts 21. And uh, we're going to pick up with Paul here on his third missionary journey. A journey that started in chapter 19, um, four years ago. <laughs> and he has been traveling um, just all throughout the land. And God has been, all throughout the Roman Empire, God has been using him in so many powerful ways. The date of this third missionary journey, 80, 53 through 57 ish. And there, last week, we saw him um, stop in Ephesus at a port city there, the port of Miletus. For several days there, he, he pulled the church leaders together and, and just a powerful, if you weren't here, a powerful um, heart-to-heart. It was like we were able to, to sit down with Paul the Apostle with these guys that he had got to know and loved and poured into and discipled and mentored. And they're now going to be spearheading the ministry that he is He's left. He'd been with them for three years. And it's almost like the Lord let us just come and put our hand on his shoulder and lean into that conversation where he talked about who he was, uh, what ministry is, and what God honors in ministry. And we pulled that apart for a couple of weeks. If you didn't track with that, I would encourage you to go and, and listen to those insights out of that heart-to-heart that Paul had. It, 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 it's good direction for us as Christians and as Christian parents and as, as, as a church, definitely, for um, sure. But um, as he left, they wept that they wouldn't see each other again. Um, genuine ministry develops genuine relationships. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in this next chapter as well, or see that. And their tears say it all. But in verse 1 of chapter 21, it comes to pass that when... We had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course. We came to Kos, then the following day to Rhodes, and then to Patara, and finding a ship there, sailing over to Phoenicia, and went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed in Tyre, where there was... Uh, there the ship was to unload its cargo. Again, this, these were merchant ships that they were traveling on. And then in verse 4, finding disciples, we stayed there. Um, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to, uh, to, uh, to Jerusalem. So Paul's torn away from his, his loved ones in, in, in Ephesus. And, um, but he's on a mission. And it's, it's God's mission for his life. And I want to talk about that. And we're going to see just some insights um, in that. God's mission for our life. Uh, God's calling uh, upon our life. But um, God's mission was a mission that, that evolved in Paul's life over time. And, and his mission for us evolves over time uh, as well. But... It was also a mission that involved different seasons and different people. There were different circumstances. There were different locations. There were different journeys. 
all set out, this one course for Paul's life was set out by God when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. Back earlier as we we saw that conversion, and then there was the very clear instruction given to Paul by way of Jesus speaking to Ananias and saying, you've got to go to this guy and and you've got to make it very, very clear what, what I've called him to be and what I've called him to do. And so Paul was very aware of the specific direction that God had for his life from that particular point forward there in Acts chapter 9. Um, the current part of that journey, that mission for Paul's life, um, was now this three days. He's traveled some 400 miles from Miletus to Patara, a three-day journey, stopping in different ports. Then finding a ship there in, in Phoenicia, about 400 miles away there. They stop in, in Tyre. That would be today's Lebanon. They would stay several days and find some disciples there and, and just break bread with them, get to know them as the ship was being unloaded and further loaded. And, you know, you just, you, I just want to bring this out. There are, there, are, there are a lot of pit stops and a lot of left-hand turns and a lot of not yets and a lot of unforeseen and a lot of unexplainable and a lot of you've got to be kidding me and a lot of heart-wrenching, and a lot of elation, and a lot of what now that, that marked the path that God has set before Paul. There are a lot of Christians today that are living life with, with no real sense of purpose, no real direction. They have not gotten close enough to Jesus or opened their heart up enough to Jesus to where he has clearly articulated his mission for their life, their, his will for their life, his plan for their life. God is not directing their life to that extent. They have a mission, but it's their, their personal mission. It's it's, it's this mission of just doing what they feel in the moment, what they believe is best for them in the moment. For others, it might even be, well, I'm saved, I'm born again, but man, I look at my life and really circumstances are directing my life. Their mission in life is defined by what life throws at them. Paul's struggles here give us really great insight on how to discover God's will and how to not be derailed as we follow God's will for our life. Right now, right now, you might be, be struggling with understanding God's will or knowing God's will. You might be struggling with, you know, just, you might have crucial decisions that you're facing in life right now and you're trying to discover what to do. And I don't even know as a Christian if you really are, are, are more interested in God's will as it relates to those big decisions or just your will and what you feel is best for you. You may, you may be wondering what God's will is, how to discover that. Well, we're going to learn some great insights relating to that through this particular study. For you note takers, I'd like you just to write down a few things. Number one, very simple, very profound. 
as a Christian, never, never guess. Never guess about God's will for your life. Never guess that he has one. Never just take a stab at, well, I think it's this or I think it's that. There's some very clear things that we can be doing to understand God's will, and that's very important. So just number one, understand that God has a plan for your life. Understand that he's got a mission for your life. Paul was a man who knew God, and he knew God's plan for his life. When, when again, he was, he was converted there in Acts chapter 9, God wanted him to know something. First and foremost, we kind of pass over this. Ananias, go to him and tell him that he is a chosen vessel of mine. We look at Paul's calling. We look at God's commission upon his life. Sometimes we forget that, that God, like, when he saved him, he chose him. And when he saved us, he chose us. And I always say this. He has a purpose in everything that he does. Well, for Paul, it was that he would, he would go and proclaim Christ. He would bear the name of Christ before Gentiles, kings, and, and Jews. And then part of that as well, God knew what was before him as he would go and, and do that in the Roman world. So he's like, let him know that he will also suffer many things for my name's sake. So we look at Paul's life. We understand that we've got to understand, just like Paul, there is a plan. We need to understand that. There's a plan for our life. God has a plan for our life. And then secondly, we need to step out in faith and pursue God's plan for our life. That's what each of these three missionary journeys affirm. Each trip, again, involving different locations and different people and different circumstances, all developing at different times in Paul's life. But behind each trip, behind each step of faith that Paul took, there was God directing Paul and his mission for his life placing a burden upon Paul, opening doors for Paul that no man could shut, providing every resource for Paul that he would need, leading Paul by his spirit, bringing people around Paul to give him a team and support. The driving goal at this time in God's plan for Paul was Paul just had this burden God gave him. He, he needed to get to Jerusalem. Yeah, he wanted to get there for the peace of the Feast of Pentecost, but, but primarily there was this, this burden that God had given him years earlier. And, and it was the need of those in Jerusalem. There was this pressing, driving need. The second that he heard that the saints in Jerusalem were, were struggling for a number of different reasons, but primarily because of a famine that had hit there, but also there were all kinds of challenges in the early church and divisions in the early church and, and doctrinal issues and trying to understand should Gentiles even be part of us? What's the role of the law? And, and now as Jews, how does this all work together? There were, there were pressing issues upon Paul's heart where he's like, I've got to. The Spirit is driving me to Jerusalem. And it wasn't just the motherland. It wasn't just, the, I, I've got to get back to that place. It was people. It was souls. It was God's heart and God's burden for others. Paul was convinced in God's will for his life. He didn't just hear God 
put things on his heart. And, no, no, no. He, 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 he spread that news. He got a team and, and sent Timothy and others out. And he's like, you need to go to these Gentile churches that God has been so faithful to like, let us be part of planting and raising up. And you need to tell them there's a need. They need to be raising up an offering. And, 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 and I'm going to be coming back through. And I want you to take care of all that stuff before I get there so that we can just receive those love offerings and then just move together as a team towards Jerusalem. He's on the back end of that now. But he was, he was a man that put feet to his faith. He refused to just go through life, you know, <laughs> without putting feet to his faith. Once he understood God's will, he was captivated by that. Paul was on the move. Thirdly, we need to understand that there is going to be lots of pressure to turn us from God's will for our life. We can't cave in, and we cannot deviate. And this is something we're going to learn here. In Tyre, Paul meets up with these disciples. Let's read on to fully understand the pressures that Paul would face in this particular part of his journey. Verse 4, finding some disciples, we stayed there seven days. They, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When we had come up, you know, to the end of these days, we departed and we went our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till their children will until we were out of the city. And notice, we knelt down on the shore, we prayed. When we had taken our leave from one another, we boarded the ship, and then they returned home. If you've been a Christian for any um, length of time then you have had those similar experiences where you've, you've met other Christians out and about. And um, when you meet them, there's almost this instant bond. It's like you've known them forever. There's this like-mindedness, this, this equal affection and, and appreciation that, that only the Spirit could do in, in making us one globally, one in the body of Christ. It's the work of the Spirit of God as... God is bringing spiritual regeneration to, to hearts and souls around the world. He's done that to us. We then become one, one Father, one Spirit, one body, as we read about one baptism there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And sometimes you just come into, you know, a situation where you meet some of those people and you're like, man, we're one. That's how the family of God works. There are many reasons why I get excited about people you know, coming into the faith, coming to know Jesus. One is that they're no longer going to go to hell. That's a big one. I get excited about that. <laughs> I just do. And then I, and I think about heaven and what all heaven will be, and I'm like, man, you know, you, you, we get to live some life down here, and it's, it's great and everything, but man, when we get up there, <laughs> go through Re Revelation 20. No more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. The for Amen? The former things will have passed away. But as Christians, we, we're, we're, we're kingdom kids and we, we, we live on a, a higher plane. We live the abundant life. We, we don't live the, the redundant life. We live the abundant life in Jesus Christ. And, and there's hope and there's meaning and there's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's, there's, there's just, the, that's the quality of life that God intended for us to live as believers. 
That's how the family of God works. And so I get excited when I see people get saved. I get really excited about all of that. But then when I think about, you know, I get to know these people. I get to walk with these people. They're going to they're gonna get to know some people in this body. They're going to blow their mind. They're going to be loved. They're going to be cared for. They're going to be tended. And, and that, that excites me as well. And, you know, this is, I, I'm sure what Paul was experiencing, probably that gleam in his eye and that smile, like, ah, oh, we found some more believers here. This is amazing. And they share their stories and they spend a few days together. For you that feel that God is, you know, drawing you here, you just like, ah, you know, I've been checking out churches. I know you do it online. You can, a lot of people still online and whatnot, but that's, that's like, you guys remember the old days in Disneyland you used to get the ticket book? Remember that? What was, what was the best ticket? Someone tell me what the... The e-ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are experiencing the e-ticket right now. You are here. You, you, the price has been paid, and you walked in, and you are e-ticket right now experiencing body life. You are. Now, now those online, we don't want to take away from them, but they're, they're not e-ticket right now, okay? I'm not sure what the other tickets were, but they were cheaper. And Was it? A, B, C, D, E. Was that what it was? Okay, there you go. Someone with dyslexia put that whole program together, huh? Yeah, it's like, the e-ticket's the best. But you guys understand what I'm talking about? You do. And, and that appreciation for what we're experiencing right now in body life, for most of us, really grew the last couple of years, didn't it? After spending some time with this group, Paul, through the Spirit, or they, they told Paul, excuse me, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. And, and in the Greek, it's like, don't step one foot in that direction. This is the same kind of pressure that Paul spoke about in, 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 in Miletus as well, in Acts 20 there. He was like, guys, you, you need to understand right now, I, I've told you, we've talked about what I was when I came here, but right now I just want you to know, I go bound in the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit speaking to me, to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are even going to happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Like, Paul knew this. The pressure of going through more opposition, the pressure, real life pressure. You know, knowing that God is telling Paul this and leading Paul that direction doesn't mean it's without pressure, without real human feelings and anxiety and fears. The pressure was real. The possible imprisonment as Paul moved forward into the next city was real because he has a track record of many cities incarcerating him and beating him and stoning him. Paul knew he could suffer for the cause of Christ in any city that he entered. But in every city, he's like, the Holy Spirit affirms this practically. Paul knew that he would be opposed. But here, there's also people trying to warn him or maybe even encourage Paul because of that. We look at the history of you, Paul. <laughs> we look at your history, your track record as you do enter into these cities and all of the opposition. 
And, and we, we are hearing about what's even ahead in Jerusalem. People know what's going on there. And we don't think it's a good idea that you should go. Peter tried to do this with Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus was talking about his death. I'm going to be crucified, buried the third day. I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter pulls him off to the side. You guys know the story. And he's like, like, you know, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. You know, it's like sitting down talking to Jesus. I've heard you say you're, you're God, that you are the Messiah. And, and I, I know that you are here saying you're fulfilling all of these scriptures. And, 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 and all this has got to be fulfilled by you. And you have this amazing, miraculous conception and all. But, you know, we really like you. We, and, and Peter began to make it about Peter. That's just what we do sometimes with God. We just begin to make it about us. And it was great hanging out with Jesus. He loved Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to, like, die on a cross. He was thinking through maybe other ways that they could continue on this amazing thing of you just healing people and multiplying fish and walking on water. All this has been really cool. You don't need to go to the cross. And that's when Jesus goes, Peter, Peter, hold on. And he, he used some pretty firm language. Get behind me, Satan. He knew what was really fueling that in Peter. And he's like, you just you are not mindful of the things of God. You're not thinking about God's plan. You're mindful of the things of men. You're thinking about yourself. Pressure from people that you love can be a, a major driving force, especially when you know that they are saying what they are saying because they love you and they just want the best for you. These people in just a very short time, as we have seen as Christians as well, you get to know people, they had become very dear to Paul. At the end of seven days, Paul starts to walk off and they're like, hold on, you know, we're going we're gonna to walk with you. That tells us something. They accompanied our whole team. Them, they got their wives and their kids. They all came together and we had this big old prayer meeting down right before we, you know, got on the boat. They really loved Paul. Paul really loved them. They had deep concern for Paul. This is why I believe they were trying to warn and convince him to stay. We really loved, just loved hanging out. We'd just stick around for a little bit longer. Maybe even as they prayed. We don't know, but maybe even as they prayed, that heart came out. Lord, we just pray you would if you got to take Paul, you know, you have your hand on him. But man, wouldn't it be great if you changed his heart right now and kept him here? <laughs> you know, sometimes we tell our loved ones about God's plan in our life and they make it all about themselves. And they'll pray that way. Because we could be so earthly minded. But there's a bigger, there's a bigger thing in the heart of God. There's, there, there, there's souls of others that God wants us to reach. Paul did not deviate. In verse 6, when we had taken our leave from one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Listen, Paul did not let concern from people that loved him direct his life. 
He did not let circumstances redefine God's mission for his life. He did not slow down or, or move towards Jerusalem reluctantly. He sprinted towards it. Paul had given God's plan for his life the highest priority, higher than anything or anyone else. Thus, he pressed on. Remember again what he would say in Acts 20. Verse 24, he's like, I know the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. And we, we highlighted that when we went through that, that Paul had examined every asset of his life, his assets and his liability, and he decided to put Jesus ahead of every. Thing else. That's what drives a man to say, ah, I don't count my life dear to myself. It's, it's him, his calling on my life. Luther said, and I quote, such joyful abandon to the divine will will go neither unchallenged nor unrewarded. Verse 7, and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to uh, Tolemus, greeted the brethren there and stayed with them one day. And the next day, we who were Paul's companion departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So after a, a week entire, um, Paul and his party stop in Tolemus, again visiting another believer there for or other believers just for a day, then off to Caesarea. Then they meet Philip. And we, we know Philip. Philip was a, a Jew that was living in Jerusalem when the church was birthed. He had received Jesus as his Savior. The church had begun to grow. There were a problem amongst the, the Hellenist widows, the Greek-speaking Jews that were converted, that had lost their spouse. And there was, you know, they were... It was a form of communism. People were bringing their resources together and they were handing them out to take care of the needs of, of the body of Christ as it was growing and whatnot. And they felt like they were being neglected. It came to the attention of the church leadership. And so, you know, Peter and John and them are like, hey, hey, hold on. We, we understand this is a big operation here, but we've got to continue to give ourselves to like prayer and, and studying the word and teaching the word. But you guys pick seven of your own. You go to find seven Hellenists of your own. Like, we trust you guys, but make sure they're, they have good reputation. They're full of the Holy Spirit and whatnot. And, and, and Philip, along with Stephen, that we saw highlighted there in the book of Acts earlier as well, but Philip was one of those that was, was chosen. In Acts chapter 8, we know that, that great persecution broke out against the church. And it says that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria, but they said there that as they scattered, they were preaching the word. And in chapter 8, verse 5, it talks about Philip. The, the, the Lord's like, check out what I did with Philip, this man that was full of, of a good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and, and, and full of wisdom. I, man, I, I directed him down to the city of Samaria, and he was there preaching Christ to them. And it says that multitudes heeded the things that were spoken, demon-possessed 
people were delivered, the lame were healed. He was preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and all kinds of people were being baptized. And it, it just says, and there was great joy in that city. Later on in that same chapter, the Lord directs Philip to, to Gaza there where he meets that Ethiopian eunuch who was just traveling along and reading the scriptures. And he's like, where are you reading? And he was in Isaiah chapter 53. He said, great, let me tell you about who that is talking about. And he, and he preaches Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch, you remember. And he accepts Jesus, man, and, and he baptizes him in water. And so it's been, check this out, about 20 years since we saw Philip. And now he's in Caesarea, and, and, and God's given him a family. His daughters are walking with the Lord. He's gifted them with the gift of prophecy. I mean, I'll tell you what, I've raised three daughters. They've got a lot of words to say. I couldn't imagine if all my daughters were also given that gift of prophecy as well. It just would be an interesting house. He had four of them. I had three. I'd, I'll just leave that alone. But then in verse 10, we stayed many days. Um, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to um, Jerusalem. Now, we met this guy, Agabus, about 15 years prior. Um, he worked together with, with, with Paul. In, in Acts chapter 11, there was a famine um, in Judea there, and, and, and Agabus spoke up, and, and the, the Lord's putting it on my heart. There's going to be a famine in the land, and they, they took heed to that, and they were able to, to rally together and really create a um, like a a disaster relief ministry, you know, this is what they developed. And they were able to minister to the church and to others because of that um, amazing prophecy through Agabus. So here we are, you know, some 15 years later, he meets Agabus again. And what he does, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of fascinating here. He, he, he arrives, he finds Paul and says, Paul, just watch me closely. He takes his belt and he ties his hands, I'm sure, with it and and in his feet, as just this traumatic picture. He's like, this is what's going to happen. So shall the Jews in Jerusalem bind you. This is what's awaiting you. Now, we know that Paul had over and over had the Holy Spirit just affirming, this is part of it, Paul. This is part of it. As Jesus would say in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, you know, it, it does rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And Paul, you're, you're, you're being called into a world where it's cursed and fallen and there's already hardship and, and, and everything that the curse brings to human beings, you're going to personally experience as well. But, but I've redeemed you and you're going to walk with, with me. And I'm going to navigate you. And you're going to be the one that is going to like just break up some really hard soil moving through the Roman Empire for me. And it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be a lot that's going to come, that's going to come your way. And I can only imagine as Paul would see Agabus, 
the, the mixed feelings. Part of Paul would be like, you're telling me, bro. Or you're, you're, you're not saying anything that the Holy Spirit isn't already told me. I'm sure Paul would be going, you're, you're affirming some things right now. At the same time, there might have been just this, whoa, man. Like the closer that Jesus got towards the cross, the reality of the cross began to be a bit more heavy. And I got to get there. God has called me to be there. And yeah, I, I can imagine what's waiting for me there. Here, Paul's friends chime in as well. His friends get, get, get swept up. Luke is one of them. The, Luke and the rest of the team, they chime in and begin to plead with Paul. They've been traveling with Paul, collected the offerings from these churches. This has been going on for years. And they're, they've already went through so much and seen God deliver them through so much. And now here they are, and Agabus comes up, and it's the word of God. And they're like, we believe this. They begin to plead. Luke himself begins to plead with Paul. Yeah, let, yeah let's, let's just pull the ripper on this one. Don't go. They get swept up in the all-too-common inclination of being quick to know God's will for someone else trying to make God's will conform to their ideas. In the early days when we were starting our church, and it was growing, there was a lot of prophets and prophetesses. They, they didn't, I don't, they weren't gifted by God to that extent. They didn't call themselves that, but they were quick to tell you God's will for your life. It's just kind of that, that new thing. You know, you're excited about the Lord, and I can't tell you how many girls in the early movement now I'm not going to mention names. That would be wrong. But how many girls went to the same guy and said, God has shown me that you are to marry me. That poor, handsome, wealthy kid just couldn't shake it. And I can tell you, there were a few guys too, and it was always the same girls, the same guys that were just kind of moving around, and God just, you know, they had this amazing gift of prophecy. I'm so glad that none of that went that way. It just would have been weird. Here they're convinced that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. And we're going to be deprived of ministry. That can't be God's will. God wants us happy and healthy and safe and secure. God doesn't want us to suffer. It's not his will. Their focus was more horizontal than vertical. They loved Paul, but their motives for him were short-sighted. They were looking out for Paul's good, not God's good. It's human. Paul did not choose suffering. Paul chose God's will, as Jesus did. They chose the Father's will, whether that means suffering or not. We don't serve the Lord and run after Him and His calling because it's fun. We serve Him and we follow Him because it's His will. Pressure upon Paul must have been unbearable. 
these months, these, these years, and prophecies and warnings of future persecution, knowing the persecutions he's already <clears throat> went through. The farewell of the Ephesian elders still <clears throat> deep in his throat. The heart-tugging of love there from those disciples he had just known for a few days entire. And now this prophecy from Agabus. And everyone, even Luke, just begging Paul. Come on, Paul. Stick around. You really don't need to go through this personally. Look at all of the other people that God has raised up. Maybe give someone else a shot at this. Sounding much like the disciples around Paul when he was in Ephesus in chapter 20. And the whole amphitheater was filled with people chanting, Great is Diana, great is Diana. Paul's like, i got to get in there and share Jesus. They're like, no, 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 no. But in verse 13, <clears throat> Paul finally breaks and reveals his heart. Why are you guys weeping and, and breaking my heart? I'm, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our, our Lord Jesus. He's like, you guys are tearing me apart on the inside here. I, I know you love me and you're just wanting the best for me, but that's what makes this so difficult. I do love you. I do want to stay with you is the idea. But you need to understand there's a higher calling. Your voices resonate in my soul, but there's a, there's a more powerful voice that has won over my soul. Regardless of the cost, I'm ready to go. I'm not only to be bound, but also to die there, if that's the case, for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's that kind of commitment. It's that kind of devotion that God is going to honor, God is going to use to reach people in America today, to reach California today. Amen. I'm just kind of way out there on the limb again, just, just so you'd know that, you know, a little affirmation with that, that was 20 minutes of like, amen? All right. Just checking. They believe Paul ministered, his ministry was about 34 years. Up until this point, 20. You might have heard these scriptures, these references. I just want you to just think about this, okay? Just think about this and then we're going to tie it up. In chapter 9, when we first met, converted Paul in his life with Jesus began... His life was threatened in Damascus. Threatened again in Jerusalem in chapter 9. Persecuted and ran out of Antioch and Pisidia in chapter 13. Faced possible stoning in Iconium chapter 14. Stoned and left for dead in Lystra chapter 14. Opposed and made the center of controversy in chapter 15. Experienced the loss of his close friend and co-worker Barnabas in chapter 15. Beaten with rods and imprisoned in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Cast out of Philippi, Acts 16. His life threatened in Thessalonica, Acts 17. Forced out of Berea, Acts 17. Mocked in Athens, Acts 17. Taken before the judgment seat in Corinth, Acts 18. Opposed by the silversmiths in Ephesus, Acts 19. Eventually pushed out of town. Plotted against by the Jews in Greece in Acts 
chapter 20. We still have eight more chapters to go. 2 Corinthians 11, familiar, just listen. Paul looking back on his ministry all 34 years. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day in the sea adrift. Frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, this daily pressure, this burden for the churches. There's just times when our calling and logic collide. After Paul was stoned and left for dead in in Lystra for sharing the gospel there in Acts chapter 14, the logical response would have been, okay, we're, we're pretty sore, pretty beat up here, should be dead, but we're not dead, we're still alive, let's quit while we're ahead. That's the logical conclusion. But then there's God's call upon Paul's life, which he made the highest priority, and so God's call superseded those circumstances and any hardship that came his way, and so he dusted himself off and he headed onto Derby and continued to minister There. Later on, Paul would say this with great conviction to young Timothy in his last letter that he would write in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You've carefully followed in verse 10 my doctrine and my manner of life, my faith, my long suffering, my love, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, and my afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, where he was stoned and left for dead. What What persecutions I endured. Now, if we stopped right there and I'm like, let's just pray, have a wonderful Sunday and the rest of the week, you'd be walking out with your head down and you would drive off. But he doesn't stop there. He says this, and I quote, and out of them, the Lord delivered me from them all. And then he says this, and it's sobering and it brings balance and perspective. And yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And he's like, you got to continue doing this, Timothy. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, but we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The Apostle Paul. 14, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. Stop begging him to deviate from God's plan. And they said this, the will of the Lord be done. Like many saints, faithful saints before Paul, Paul moved and ministered in the purpose and in the power of God. God had purposed Paul to minister to the needy in Jerusalem. The offerings were taken up. He had rallied a team. They were on the move. He would not be persuaded otherwise. And it is like this. Paul standing for the cause of Christ over and over and over. With these faithful, in front of these faithful, at this time when they were 
struggling. It brought them around to surrender to the will of God. Okay, may the will of God be done. It's not just the loss that need to see us unwavering in our faith. Many that are saved need to be impacted and be reminded and reaffirmed in the will of God by us not deviating from the will of God. In verse 15, after those days, we, we packed up and we went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with this man, this man, Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple whom we were to lodge. Not much is said about him. He was just used by God, the gift of hospitality. If you've got that, use that. It helped Paul so much along his journey. Blessed him. Bless others. It's just such a cool thing. Verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Whew, you know, this big, long journey. You know, it's been a few years. They finally make it there, and, and, and we're back to the church in Jerusalem. And Luke doesn't even give us the details of that first meeting when they meet with the church leaders. Peter would have been there. Jesus, his half-brother James, uh, Jesus' brother, half-brother James would have been there. Um, John would have been there. The other leaders they would have been, you know, receiving them gladly there. And I'm like, come on, man. Luke, why don't you just give us some details? How was that? Were they blown away? Were they excited? What was, what was going on? We know there's a lot of challenges in the early church. It would have been great. We'll get to heaven and we'll, we'll hear about that as well. But on the next day, it does say, we'll look at this next, next week because I want to bring a couple of points up in our closing. But on the following day, Paul went in with us to James. The, the elders were present. <clears throat> And when he had greeted them, he, he told in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul had a chance to like, guys, the last four years, you're not going to believe what it's been like. Or maybe he even went to a second or first missionary journey, tied it all together. These last 20 plus years, just your, since I let, oh my, this is what God has done. He could have been talking for quite a while. And when they heard that, they glorified the Lord. They gave God the credit. But from that point on, from verse 20 forward to the, to the closing portion of the book of Acts, we're going to step into a very, very challenging season with Paul. And we're going to learn so much more about how God continued to direct him and use him and, and be faithful to him through lots of opposition, through a couple of different imprisonments, and, and how God is going to like elevate him to, to speak the gospel to people that that otherwise these difficult circumstances would not have put him in front of. And, and we're going to see the faithfulness of God in all of that. But they're going to immediately begin to talk about the challenges in Jerusalem, and they're going to highlight a couple of things. Yeah, the church is going good. A lot of people are being converted. But the whole, like, legalist thing, there's still a lot of Jews that are, like, really not all in. We've got some issues. And when they hear that you're here, Paul... Just get ready. And it's going to lead to a lot of intense opposition. Like a crazy mob is going to come at, at Paul just in the next few verses. It's going to be intense. But um, I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to spend much you know, time talking about that. I just want to leave us with some closing thoughts for you note takers. 
Christians who really want to know God's will for their life can. Just know that. Number one, seek God with a surrendered heart. You want to know God's will? Seek Him with a surrendered heart. If we are genuinely seeking God's will, we need to surrender ours to Him. We need to surrender our personal desires so that we will be fully open to His. Number two, meditate on God's Word. Why? Because God's will is going to move you somewhere. And understanding that and the direction involved in all of that. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet, a, a light into my path. God's will for our life will always line up with God's word. Whatever direction, whatever decisions we make, it should line up with God's word. It should never contradict God's word. So we need to meditate on God's word. The more we read God's word, the more we learn about God and what he desires for our life. The more we learn about his character. And when I begin to understand God is a loving God and a merciful God and an all-knowing God, because I'm reading about that and I'm learning that, I begin to trust him more. I begin to yield to him more. Number three, spend uninterrupted, focused time with God in prayer. And let me just say, that does not involve food. No, like, oh, I was praying so three times yesterday. You prayed three times over your food yesterday. Uninterrupted, focused time on God. Talking to him. The best way to understand God's will for our life is to ask him and to talk to him about it. In James chapter 1, 5 and 6, it says, But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But we've got to ask in faith, without doubting. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know, when we look at the scriptures that pertain to prayer, it becomes obvious that God wants to talk to us and God wants to reveal his will to us. And so talk to God, ask him to reveal his will and he'll confirm it. Number four, seek godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fall. Counsel speaks of, of directing a ship. When we're asking God for his will for our life, we're talking about a course for our life. We need wise counselors to guide us to keep things on the right course. The latter part of that verse, but in the multitude of counseling, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen: without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Find some godly folks. Share with them how you would want them to pray for you. Start there. Don't just go into all kinds of the Be specific. Look at I've got some big decisions. I'm trying to find out God's will in my life. Whatever. Would you pray? I believe you. You're a man of God or a woman of God. Would you pray for me? And if God gives you anything in the word or just... A word, would you please share that with me? And then understand when they do share things with you, always weigh that against what God is sharing with you in your time of prayer and your time in reading the word. Because ultimately, your decisions are not their decisions. 
Their decisions with God are their decisions. Your decisions with God are yours. Then fifthly, once God reveals his plan, step out in faith and live it out. And understand as you're seeking out God's will for your life, it might not be what you thought. But he knows what's best for our lives and he knows how to best use our lives. So surrender and step out in faith. Know that he's with you. If you're born again, his spirit is within you, leading you, guiding you, directing you, coming alongside you, assisting you. Paul would say these words. Let's all stand. You can close your Bibles and stand. I just want to leave you with these words. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we even despaired even of life. It became so intense, we thought we were goners. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Hmm. Paul's final words, 2 Timothy chapter 4, pinned down words. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul penned down those final words, referring to the very chapter we just went through and what is about to happen to him. This series of events. He, he delivered me and he continued to deliver me and will continue to deliver me until he takes me to heaven. And even right now, today, he's delivered me from the mouth of a lion. Paul is in prison as he's pinning down these words. Oh, yesterday I could have been fed to the lions. <laughs> the day before I could have been fed to the lions. But he's delivered me yet another day. No matter how just radical it got, that calling, God's calling, sustained him. He just didn't fall apart. And that's God, God holding him. As I was on the phone with a brother this morning just weeping. Jose Munoz, he did, heard some news. His cherished brother died in a tragic motorcycle accident. 
And, and as we just, this is just, if you don't know Jose, he, he's, he's, him and his wife Vicky, they're close to us. They, they're family. They, they walk with us. They surf here. He's a, he's a leader in my life. I listen to this man. He plays the, the keyboards up. He's just a, he's a great guy. As I heard him say, my mom, Lance. As he wept, one member suffers, we all suffer. I wept. Lori wept. And then to hear the calling of God sustaining him. But Lance, we're packing up the car. We're driving to Arizona right now. Sobbing. I know God is in I know God is going to use this. Remember, you, you, you baptized my brother a few years ago. Remember that? Yeah. I was there that Sunday. Yeah, I got to accept the Lord. He, he came forward. He invited Jesus into his life. You baptized him. I'm holding on to that hope. And I know God's going to use me. Pray for me. When we... Invite people to know Jesus. We invite them to be saved. We want them to be saved. But we want them to experience him to his fullest. And it does rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. We're all, we're all going, Lori and I talked about this morning, it's just like, can you imagine going through this cursed, fallen world without Jesus. And we have, we have that hope. We have, we have that help. That's why it's really important that you're living your life in the center of his will. That's where he most holds you. That's where you're most confident. That's where you're most secure. That's where you say, none of these things move me. Is it gnarly? Is it psycho? Is it crazy everywhere around you? Yeah. But look around. You're standing fast in the Lord. And in the power of his might, as Paul encourages us to do in Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to be standing in this crazy world where everyone else is going through the same gnarly stuff, but you're going to be standing when everyone else is falling down. Because you are firmly rooted and grounded in the word of God, in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these deep insights that we glean from your word. And thank you for how it just draws us to you. This is all about you. And, and Lord, these simple principles that we've closed on, this, this understanding your will, knowing you have a will for our life. You'll reveal it through your word, through prayer through other godly people, through circumstances. Thank you for finding us worthy of redemption, salvation. Thank you for finding us worthy of sanctification, for enlisting us in your service. Thank you for finding us worthy enough for glorification that one day you'll take us home. Thank you for all that deliverance that you are and you produce in our life. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.